It's a pleasure to be here. It's been a while, and it's nice to get to see you guys again. And pastor asked me if I'd be willing to speak. I already had a sermon ready. I was like, absolutely, let's do it. So um, let us uh, start with prayer. Holy Father, we're so grateful that we can be in your presence today. Father, that we can be gathered together in the church as the body of Christ and worshiping and praising you today, Lord. And Father, we ask that you be with each one of us today, that you would further equip us for the work that you have for us this week. And Father, that you open us up to the eye, our eyes open to the truth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ all the time. For Lord, we know that it's because of you that we have life and have life eternal. We know that it's because of you that we have hope for a better future, a hope for a future with no sin, no troubles, and no trials, Lord. And Father, we look forward to that day, and we look forward to it because of what you have done at the cross, and because that you sent your Son to this earth, Jesus Christ, to accomplish something that none of us could accomplish on our own, and that is to take away our sins by dying at the cross. And we thank you for that, and we worship you. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. As we begin the Advent season, let's give consideration to the amazing blessings that God has poured out to each one of us on His people. In difficult times, like the difficulties that we're facing right now as a nation, even worldwide, it's a good time and it's good to remind ourselves that we need not fear the circumstances that life brings us. We do not have to be afraid because God has bestowed His great love upon every believer. Because of this, we can find peace, we can find rest, and we can find hope in Him. The very definition of Advent is the arrival of a notable person. The arrival of Jesus Christ, our Lord, onto this earth is about as, noble, as notable as you can get. Because He is the King of kings, He is the Lord of lords, and He came to this earth wrapped up in the form of a baby, born to bring about salvation to each and every one of us. Our Lord is the most important person, the most important person in each one of our lives. There is nothing that any of us can do that would earn the, the God wanting to be close to us. There's nothing we can do to earn that. He has given it to us freely. And He sent His Son, even though we don't deserve it. He sent His Son to us. It is Jesus who brought peace, everlasting peace, into the world. The way we find lasting peace, eternal peace, is only through Jesus Christ. For it is by Him and Him alone that we can receive, I don't know what that noise is, but it is only by Him and Him alone that we can receive the gracious and free gift of salvation. So today, as we begin Advent season, we are going to focus on the hope given to mankind by God. Hope in anyone or anything else is fleeting and does not last. 
Our hope for a better future, our hope for lasting peace, and our hope for salvation will not be lasting at all if it wasn't for God and what He did through Jesus Christ our Lord. You cannot know and experience everlasting hope unless you know God and you know Him on a personal level. Christ, it is Christ, Jesus, that you begin to understand the power of eternal hope in Him. Am I on this? Is that what you did? Okay. Is that better? <laughs> I know all that popping was bothering me. It is when you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ that you begin to understand the power of eternal hope, the eternal hope we have in Him and Him alone. And to begin, we are going to take a look at the life of Joseph in the Old Testament and how God worked in his life. And we really can get a picture looking at Joseph's life and how God really does work through our lives. And Joseph, the story of Joseph begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 37, all the way to the end of the book of Genesis in chapter 50. And I would encourage anyone here today to take a few moments when you get home, read through Genesis 37 to 50. It'll probably take half hour, 45 minutes if you sit down and read it. But that story should give us such uh, an impression of how powerful the work of God is through us. Each one of us as an individual, when we trust in Him and we depend on Him. The deliverance that Joseph brought to the world was a physical deliverance, wasn't it? It was for a time. But even this deliverance happened because of the hand of God in Joseph's life. Every storm that Joseph faced was diminished because of the hand of God intervening on his behalf. At just the right time to fulfill the purpose of God in his life. So let us take a moment now and turn our attention to Genesis chapter 41. We certainly don't have time to read from 30, chapter 37 to 50, but we're going to look at a portion of the scripture verse that is most pertinent to what we're going to talk about today. And today we're going to focus on the broad strokes of the life of Joseph. But I encourage you to take some time again this evening, spend some time in the book of Genesis and learn a little bit about Joseph and his life and how God moved in and through him. It is amazing the power of God and how God works through us through our adversity and our trouble. So let us take a moment again, look at Genesis chapter 41, beginning in verse 17, and we're going to read down through verse 40. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I have never seen such ugly cows in all of the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dreams I also saw seven heads of, seven, of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. 
After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of scorched grain by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all of the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom this is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with the respect to the throne will I be greater than you. I'm going to take a moment now and back up all the way to Genesis chapter 37. And I'm going to kind of summarize as I'm going along here uh, the story of Joseph. Because back in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph had a dream. And he had a dream that he was going to be the leader one day, and he was going to be the ruler over his brothers and his family. And that's what Joseph went out and he told his brothers this. And he told his, fathers this, his father this. And what happened when Joseph told his brothers? What happened when Jesus told his father this? His brothers got angry, didn't they? They got angry with Joseph because they were like, how, do you, how can you say something like this? And they despised him because of what he had said in that dream. And then later on, we know that Joseph went out into the woods to meet his brothers where they were feeding the animals. And they went into another city and he met up with his brothers and they turned their backs on him, didn't they? They threw him into a pit and they were planning to kill him until they saw the Ishmaelites coming forward. And when they saw the Ishmaelites, they was like, well, rather than kill our brother, let's sell him into slavery. So that's what they did. They sold him into slavery and went back home and told their mom and dad, hey, our brother got killed. And this was the story that they told. And 
I can't help but to think about the trouble that Joseph was facing by his own brothers, his brother's betrayal and how they turned their back on their brother just because they didn't like the things that he was saying and that he did, they didn't like that, his, that he was so well loved by his father. And it just amazes me. And it reminds me of when what Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus said this in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And I know that Joseph was going through some serious struggles then. He had to be asking God, what's going on? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why am I experiencing the things that I am experiencing? And brothers and sisters, we must remember that Jesus has always existed. He has existed since before the foundations of the world. He told the Pharisees, in fact, that before Abraham was, I am. He announced to them that he's always been into an existence. And I often wonder when I'm reading through this section of the Bible, and I even gave pondering thought to it as I was preparing this sermon, if Joseph was given these words by Jesus of comfort, trouble will find you, Joseph, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You can trust me, Joseph. You can depend on me. You can find your hope in me, Joseph. And anyone who has read the account of Joseph's life knows that he experienced more than his fair share of trouble. He experienced more trouble than we can imagine. But he never turned his back on God. Not once did he turn his back on God. He never lost hope. He always remained confident and remained faithful to God and God alone. Regardless of the cost to him, as we will shortly see, he always remained faithful to God. And we know that once Joseph got into Egypt, that the Ishmaelites sold Joseph to Potiphar. And then he went to live at the Potiphar's house. The Potiphar liked Joseph so much and, and Joseph's demeanor and how Joseph acted and reacted and responded to things that he was asking him to do that he left him in charge of his household. He left his slave in charge of his household to accomplish the things that needed to be done. He had confidence that Joseph would do the right thing and do it all the time. Potiphar's wife wanted something different, though, didn't she? Potiphar's wife wanted Joseph. And she wanted Joseph to come with her and be with her. And Joseph could have thought to himself, well, you know what? I'm in charge of this house. Maybe I'll just indulge a little bit. Maybe I'll just fulfill desires that I have. But Joseph never did that, did he? Joseph kept his faithfulness to God. Joseph kept his faithfulness to the potter, Potiphar. He would, not, he would not betray Potiphar, and he was not going to betray God. And what happened? The Potiphar's wife said that Joseph tried to attack her. And Joseph was thrown into prison. I don't know about you, 
But I was just thinking myself, if I'm doing all these right things, why are all of these bad things happening to me? Why am I getting thrown into prison? What did I do to deserve it? I didn't do anything to deserve this. I'm being faithful to God. I'm being faithful to my master. I'm being faithful to Potiphar. I didn't turn my back on him. And yet, look at this. I'm doing what's right, and I'm being punished for it. But that wasn't the case, was it? God had a plan for Joseph. And see, our trials in life, our tribulations in life, are a refining fire in our life. They're what shape us and mold us and make us into the likeness of God. And I can't help but to think that God was allowing Joseph to go through these trials to prepare him for the work that he had yet to do. To prepare him, to remind him that Joseph, in all of your ways, you need to be dependent on me, regardless of your circumstances. And even when Joseph got thrown into prison, what happened? He did such a good job there that the jailers loved him. The jailers said, here, I'm not going to worry about what you're doing because you're doing the things that we need you to do. You're taking care of business. We appreciate that. We're leaving you alone. And he had favor in their sight. God gave Joseph favor in the sight of his jailers. And here's the point to where things start to come together a little bit for Joseph. And Joseph doesn't even know it yet. But God allows him to have a dream. And also, two other prisoners have a dream also. The cupbearer has a dream, and the baker has a dream. And they do not understand the dream. And Joseph said, well, you know what? I can interpret that dream for you. But when I do interpret this dream, um, I'm asking you to remember me. When the time is right, remember me. And so... Joseph interpreted both of their dreams. The baker learned that in three days he is going to be hanged. I would rather not find out I was going to be hanged. But the person, the cupbearer, found out that he was going to be restored to his position. Again, the, the cupbearer is being restored to serve the purpose of God. Because the cupbearer worked directly for Pharaoh. Who didn't know Joseph from anybody? And when the Pharaoh had the dream that we just read about in Genesis chapter 41, when Joseph had, or when Pharaoh had that dream, there wasn't anybody that could interpret that dream. But the cupbearer happened to be in the presence of Pharaoh. Just happened to be, right? It, wasn't, it was a coincidence. There's no such thing as coincidence. He was placed there by God. And when he heard that that dream could not be interpreted. He says, I know somebody who can interpret it. Joseph can. And Joseph is in prison, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph. God's work in Joseph's life is starting to come together, isn't it? It is starting to come to light. And Joseph's mission is going to become very clear to Joseph very soon here. So he did. He, he, Joseph never in any point up to here used his influence, nor did he take advantage of his position that he had in the prison for personal gain either. Just as he didn't at the Potiphar's house, he didn't use his 
position for personal gain. He remained faithful and, and, and in faithful service to God and to his master, his jailer. He remained faithful to him as well. But Joseph knew that in Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3, Joseph knew that the Lord is his shepherd. He knew that he shall not be in want. He knew that God would make him to lie down in green pastures and that God would restore his soul. He knew this. So Joseph is placed in charge by Pharaoh. He's put in charge. The only person that has more authority in Egypt now is who? Pharaoh. And only because of the throne. So Joseph's dream while living with his father and his brothers back in Genesis 37 is finally being fulfilled. How many years took place between then and this time? I don't know the exact number, but Joseph is seeing the fulfillment of the prophecy that God shared with him all the way back in Genesis chapter 37. And the fruit of the work of God in his life is about to take place. So during the years of plenty, Joseph stores up for the coming years of famine. And God continues to prosper Joseph, doesn't he? He continues to bring him favor in the eyes of Pharaoh. And Joseph delivers the world during the famine, doesn't he? He provides food during the famine for everyone because he followed the plan that God gave him to collect one-fifth of the harvest of the seven good years, so the seven years of famine, there would be plenty. And Joseph was in charge of all of that. See, Joseph ho Joseph's hope rested in, Jesus, or in God. It rested in God, just as our hope rests in Jesus Christ. He knew that what his brothers did, they meant it for evil, but he knew that God meant it for good. And Joseph did forgive his brothers, we know this. And I believe that just as significant as the hope that God gave Joseph during this period of time is the hope that God provided for everyone during the time of famine. You realize that God took care of all of the world and made sure that they had physical food because of the obedience of one man? How many times have you heard somebody say, one person can't make a difference? I know one person can make a difference. Your life matters, and what you do in your life matters. You can make a difference in other people's life. See, the people in Egypt, they didn't have to worry about where they were going to get the food or where, how they were going to eat or how they were going to take care of their livestock because they were prepared, because they listened to Joseph and followed God's plan during this period of time. But you see, the only hope Joseph could provide was the hope of physical stability in a time of great instability. That seven years of famine could have created division among families. It could have created opportunities for theft. 
It could have created murders, and the list goes on and on. Many could have suffered and died from starvation. But the provision of God was given to all because of the faithfulness of one man, Joseph. And brothers and sisters, today we live in a world of uncertainty, don't we? We live in a nation divided. But we have hope. We have hope because of the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ. We have hope of a better future. This year has been a time of political battles that were fought more viciously than I have ever seen in my lifetime. And I'm sure many of you out here would agree with me on that. People are placing their hope for a better tomorrow on a president, an elected official, someone who is just as fallible as you and I, someone who is just as fallible as you and I, you see, our politicians do not have the answers. They cannot fix America. The fate of this country, this state, this city is not going to be fixed by a person. We are living in the midst of a pandemic and many are looking to scientists to save us. They are looking to the medical profession to deliver us. There is one who can bring a solution to the removal of the virus that so many fear. And that is God. God is the one in control. We're not in control. This world's not in control. This pandemic across the world, not just this nation, this pandemic is out of control. There is one who does have the control to bring it in control. He is the one who can bring relief. Not a person, not a scientist, not a president. You see, it is God we need to turn to. We need to stop turning to our politicians and to our scientists and turn to God and cry out to Him. It is Him we should seek for answers. It is Him we need to turn to to find peace. It is Him and Him alone who will bring eternal hope to our souls. There's nobody else that's going to give us hope. It's going to be God. And separate from God, we will fail. Separate from God, we will fall. Separate from God, we cannot overcome. John 3.21 says this. John 3.21 says, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. We don't need to fear the future. There is not one person in here who has to fear the future. We do not need to fear a virus that can only take our physical life. This virus doesn't have any power to take us spiritually. There is no way. It has no power over us. We should fear the one who can take our soul. That's the one we should fear. It is Him we should bow to. It is Him we should go to when we are in trouble. It is Him who can heal our land. It is Him 
who can bring America back into unity. It is God and God alone who can restore this great nation. All we need to do is acknowledge that it is because of God that this nation ever was great. The only reason this nation has ever been great is because of God and the work God has done in this nation. We have one, the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus is born in the town of Bethlehem as a little baby. And he wasn't born of a king. He wasn't born in some castle. He wasn't born with pomp. He was born in a manger, in a stable. He came to this earth, average, just like you and I. That's how he came to this earth. And we find him just as a child finds faith. We come to him and we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when we seek God and genuinely seek him with our hearts, not just our mouths, but we seek him with our heart, we are going to be able to have a peace that we've never had before. So you see, this Advent season, we should remember that we have hope, eternal hope, because Jesus came to this earth born fully human, yet fully God. Jesus never gave up his deity just because he came to this earth. He came to this earth so we could have salvation. He died at a cross so that we could have salvation. He willingly gave his life for each one of us. If you were the only sinner, I believe Jesus would have came to this earth and died on the cross for you. He loves each one of us that much. So you see, Jesus, Joseph, he did save many people, phys their physical lives, because he was faithful to God. But Jesus came to save the souls of men. He came to save our soul. To set us free from a sin debt that we are not capable of paying. He came to this world to bring mankind hope. He wants us to have hope. He wants us to have hope in him. He wants us to know there is a hope for a brighter future. An eternal hope in him. A hope of eternal glory with God. He was born in a town called Bethlehem, a baby child who will be delivered, who will deliver the world from their sins. Imagine that. A baby child coming into this world is going to be the salvation for the world. See, Jesus came to this earth to die. He came knowing he was going to die. And he did that because he knew that he was the only hope we have for salvation. Jesus told us, I am the way. He didn't say a way, because there are not many different ways to heaven. There's one way to heaven, and that's by the blood of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He said, I am the way, the life. The only reason we have life is because of him. 
And make no mistake about it, the only reason we get to take the next breath is because Jesus gave it to us. I am the way, the life, and no one can come to the Father except by me, Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is only one truth, and it's found in Jesus Christ. One salvation, it's found in Jesus Christ. And the Messiah gives his life freely to offer eternal peace and hope to all who believe. Do you believe? If you don't, do you want to believe? Because God doesn't force belief upon you. He isn't going to force himself upon you. You come freely to the cross just as you are. doesn't matter what kind of sin you're involved in in your life. Come to the cross. Once you are saved, Jesus is not going to leave you in the condition you're in. He will change you. He will mold you into his likeness. And he will do it day by day for the rest of your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have given us this opportunity to be in your presence today, Lord. Thank you so much that you have given us the hope that we have in you. Thank you that we can turn to you with every need in our life and be confident that you will fulfill that need and meet it. And Father, we just ask that you continue to work through our lives, that you continue to shape us day by day. And Father, we would always keep an eye on the path that you want us to go. And Father, that we would continually continually do the work that you have given us to do. And Father, as we go out into the world this week, give us opportunities to share your great love with someone. And we ask all of this in the gracious name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.